Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com and this is Techie Bytes episode 11. Today I'm speaking with David Drake, the chairman of LDJ Capital, a multifamily home, a multifamily office with a network based all over the world. Most recently, David has been focused on investing and advising cryptocurrency and blockchain companies through ICOs. Enjoy. I'm here with David Drake, the chairman of LDJ Capital, a multi-family investment firm. So uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of really cool things today, including ICOs, blockchain, Bitcoin, you name it. Uh, so welcome, David. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on the podcast with me. Oh, thank you for having me. Looking forward to being here. Awesome. Um, so I guess... For those of for those of our listeners who who are not familiar with with you, uh, you've been obviously around for quite some time, making several investments over the years, and you have quite the portfolio. But just um, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got started in investing, just in general, and then subsequently how you got in, how you got into cryptocurrencies and just crypto. Well. I came over as a student in 1990 to go to undergrad school in D.C. on scholarships. Ended up working on Wall Street and investing in companies in 1996-1997. And those companies started making money. I was a serial entrepreneur and made a lot of investments. And then over the last 15, well, 20 years, 22 years, I'd say 99% of those investments failed. They failed monetarily. But lessons of life that succeed in telling me what doesn't work and how you have to expect how to deal with people and expectations of what you're good and bad. And I think I started learning the last decade on, I'm good at this. Let me do what I'm good at. If you make me do something I'm not good at, we're both going to be miserable and we're going to have to have a divorce. <laughs> so that was probably I, I my hear, I hear you on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I, realized, and I mean, like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and so I realized, let me focus on what I like to do. And if I don't like it, let me find somebody else to do it, or at least explain to my partners, listen, if you're trying to make me do that, and I don't want to do it, it's going to be over, because we're both <laughs> going to be miserable. Right. I think that's the best lessons out there. Now, the other no, thing yeah. that I learned was, I was terrible at partnerships. I had terrible partners a decade ago. They were vicious and nasty, and they would call me up two in the morning and say, I gave you paper stock. I have no revenue, but I gave you stock. You should answer my phone at 2 a.m. I gave you 0.2% of the company. When I call you at 2 a.m., you <laughs> answer the phone. I'm like, seriously? I, I, this is ridiculous. You know, these companies have no revenue, and they're stressing me out 2 a.m. in the morning because they can't pay payroll or whatever it is. So I decided to get rid of all of them, and having like a no nasty zone of people around me. Let me just have good energy people. People are appreciative, people that I want to be around, people I want to talk to. If they're going to stress me out, let me cut them out of my life. Because I don't, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I can choose and pick. And I don't right. want that in my life. No, and no that's it, true. That's true. As a founder, I, I would always, yeah, I would always say yeah? like, if I was hiring someone, I want to be able to stand looking at their face every day. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, yeah. So, yeah. same principles. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we all know this in the beginning. But over time, we learn this. And even if you haven't had the experience, <clears throat> you know, surround yourself with people who are positive. 
haters are mainly because they failed even trying. Uh, isn't that interesting? They didn't mm-hmm. really want to try. And if you try, they're a failure because they didn't. They'll just hate. And I mean, it's so silly. It's so obvious. It's so simple. And unfortunately, most of them are family members or people we respect. So now the messages in our brain get convoluted. Well, but it's my mom. I love her. But she's hating. What are you <laughs> going to do? What are you going to do? You know? I don't know. <laughs> it, 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 that's a very complicated situation. But, you know, if, if you can handle that, you can handle anything. True. So, you know... It took a long time, but my mom listens now. And I'll tell you That's how she good. started listening to me. <laughs> you know how she started listening to me? No, how? I, I, spent, I spent two years saying, okay. <laughs> I said okay for two years. <laughs> so when I opened my mouth, she listened because she didn't hear me speak that much. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting strategy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't planned. It just ended up that way, and then I realized, uh-huh. wow, she's listening to me because I said okay for like a week straight. Uh-huh. And now when I said something, she wanted to listen. I'm like, oh, woo. Anyway, we're distract we're distracting from crypto. Let's go back to crypto. <laughs> yes. So, so you made a move, like you said, you invested in a, a lot of startups and, and uh, other technology companies and, and the like uh, over the years, but you've kind of more recently been involved in the crypto scene. What, um, from my understanding, you, you, you were involved a bit in the Jobs Act um, way back when, I forgot what year that, what, what year was that? 2011. Okay. So you were involved in that, and then from um, from what I read and from what I gather is that that's kind of how you kind of got started in crypto. Correct me if I'm wrong here. No, you're right. Look, in 2011, I wanted to bring some of my investors, family offices, and really super wealthy people into an event. We threw an event in spring 2011, and 250 people showed up, no family offices. But 50 people showed up, paid a ticket, and they were broker-dealers, and it was individuals, accountants, uh, lawyers, service providers. And at that time, everybody was saying, well, we just had a Great Depression hit us 2009. How do we get from that Great Depression to create jobs? And how do we create that? Our goal at that conference was, well, if we can get capital companies and the small businesses of the U.S., they stand for 80% of the employees. Mm-hmm. get capital easier to hire more people. So how do we do that? So this is literally one year before the Jobs Act was created by the House of Representatives, March 8th. So mm-hmm. we're talking like 10 times a month in conferences to investors. How do we make the laws easy, uh, easier to raise capital? Because the 33 and 34 Act said you can't advertise. Voila. A year later, the Jobs Act, Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act, was created by the House of Representatives. By April 5th, Obama signed into law, 2012. On April 20th, I set up the first meeting with the SEC in history for the Crowdfunding Association. Five years later, uh, Mrs. White, chairman of uh, the SEC, passed all of the seven laws underlying the Jobs Act. And she had to pass them with the SEC because signing them into law by Obama was just a wishful dictation of what should be done. 
necessity right. had to make that law, and they did. Now, these laws is the reason people can raise money in the U.S. through advertising. And uh, the Trypto Society, who came into the U.S. two years ago, said, hey, we raise money. Well, you're a foreign, you come from a foreign country. You have no clue about our laws. So they ended up coming to me saying, hey, you have to change and lobby for the change in the law in the U.S. for raising capital. Uh, you're like 10 times cheaper than a lawyer. I mean, at that point, I'm like, I wish I was a lawyer. It would have made so much more money. But, you know, I knew the questions. I knew the law. And uh, the little uh, composition I got, I was happy with. And uh, I added a lot of value. Because nice. fundraising is based on marketing in the U.S. today, and you're allowed to do that. But those right. are exceptions on the SEC Law 33, 34, and 40 Act. And uh, the lawyers don't know those three laws. And if they know two out of three, believe me, they're going to set you back $20,000 to tell you about the third one. Right. <laughs> right. right. I'm, well, I'm I, well aware of that. Oh, I'm uh, so well aware of it. And, and, and you know what? <laughs> I love the lawyers because they're such smart. Mm. They're super smart. <laughs> and you can't discern when they're too smart and being smug and when they're just saying, this is my job. I'm going to bill you another 10000 because that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> right, rack up those billable hours. <laughs> yes, of course. Exactly. So I get the game and I admire them. I love them for it. And... I get the, uh, I'm in the game. So, you know, I end up being a great advisor because <clears throat> I know the stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I, so, I can get into it and like, all right, bring it. I'll call right. your invoice. <laughs> I'll challenge so, it all. So you, so you, so you got into this, this crypto scene early, like really early. And yeah. now, nowadays we have, you know, I mean, I mean, people are more aware of them, they're likely heard of these initial coin offerings or these ICOs, right? Um, and I'm curious, from your standpoint as an investor and advisor, um, what are you looking for when you determine you wanna be part of an ICO? Um, what, are, what are the kind of, what are like the top three things you look for or more? You know, what do you look for? Uh, to, before you even considering speaking to the team? Look, there's a, there was a philosophy by the French called this deconstructionism. Deconstructing the word and what the meaning is, and different languages have different meanings, different time of period have different meanings. So let me do a little bit of that. Okay. I'm going to define of who, what my hat is that I'm wearing when I'm looking at this. If I'm an advisor and I'm looking for becoming an advisor for an ICO, then to me it becomes important, you know, what's your history in having run businesses before? What's the problem you're solving? What's your team constructed of? Who's your board advisory? Are you open enough to realize that you don't know everything and you need to have board advisors in industries that you don't know to compensate for what you lack? And that's important to me. So obviously, I look at the executive team's bios, what they've done in the past, and the board advisory. They actually have a board advisory because that tells me I know my shortcomings. You get the entrepreneur who thinks I know everything, why would he <laughs> need a board advisory? Or maybe he'll get a board advisory in just one industry so he can tell them what they need to do. That tells me how open they are. Because the last thing I want to do is work with somebody who doesn't want to listen. 
So right. there's no value I can add. If I can't add in the value, why am I in there? Uh, the exactly. second thing is if I wear a hat of an investor, then my criteria changes. An investor is different. I'm not guiding them from the start to the beginning. As an investor, my criteria is late-state investments. I'm like a Series C, Series D investor in crypto. Mm-hmm. I want to get on the board to get to know them. I want to do my diligence as a board advisor. And why did I make that criteria? Well, there's a thousand of them. 300 of them are contacting me every two months. I can't work with all of them. I can't underwrite them. Well, I'm going to spend half a million dollars in salaries to look at them and underwrite them. I have better things to do. So what I did to make my life easy was, look, I have a global brand. I have my foot on Wall Street. I'm, I have hedge funds. I have crypto funds. I'm a family office. I've been in New York for almost 25 years. The center of the Wall Street is. But Wall Street is. So I said, you know what? If you are if you are part of advising your ICO, then I personally will pay attention. If we're not, I can't. There's too many. That was the mm-hmm. first distinction I made. And it was just by necessity. There were so many of them. The second right. one as an investor is we have criteria. I look at myself as a Series C, Series D investor, which means you have momentum, you have a whole team. You have a business plan, a white paper, an execution, maybe even an MVP. Um, but you certainly have momentum and growth. And that means the fundamentals of crypto is crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is based on the crowd. Crypto is based on the crowd. The community at large being part of the experience. Ninety, you know, The majority of ICOs today don't know that. They forgot it. They weren't in the early days. For them, it's a quick buck or just one means of getting money. But it was really to embrace the community and get the community to be involved in the growth of the business. So to me, as an investor, I want that community to be there. And that accomplishes a couple things. A, you know how to listen to them and incentivize them to join your Telegram group or Facebook group or LinkedIn group. And for me, can it be 50,000 people? Secondly, those 50,000 people are hodlers. They're going to hold that coin. They believe in it. Because if they're traders, they're not going to put in a hundred thousand, a thousand bucks. Put in, you know, half a million mm-hmm. or a quarter million. But I like a lot of small investors because they're hunters. They believe in it, and they're part of the community, which means people communicate with them and they listen to them and they can communicate in Telegram or other social media. And thirdly, and the most important thing is, they're the ones who can hold the tokens when they list. I mean, if you're going to have a token listing, then you want to make sure your investment is going to keep the value increase. If you have right. 50,000 people who bought a small portion and believe in it, they're not going to sell it. They're not traders. That means you have support for your token to maintain a value and an increase in value. <clears throat> Turn ICOs I worked with, they had maybe 15 investors and raised $10 million. And when they list, what happens? It tanks. Why? Three of them are selling it, and there's no support from investors to buy it. There's no market making. No people believe in it. So we've seen that, and uh, you know, the investor portion of me is very different from me trying to help you become successful. It depends right. on the hat, right? 
and there's other hats too, but mm-hmm. uh, in large, these two are telling you, "Hey, I'll help you be successful, but I'm an advisor. I'm not your, you know, I'm not working for you full time. I'm guiding you. I'm answering questions." And fortunately for me, I've done that for 100 ICOs globally for the last two years. And by doing that for 100 ICO, guess what? I know what's normal. I know what's abnormal. And that's usually the first question everybody asks me. What do other people do? What should I do? And you can't make the decision unless you know what other people are doing. Right. And these ICOs, they don't have time. They're not going to tell you what they're doing. Uh, they're <laughs> right. They'll, they'll give tell you me what tidbits. Right. Yeah, you know, they'll tell me because I'm a board advisor. I'm trusted. Right. But if you call them, really? They're not going to sit there and answer questions for you. They're running a <laughs> business. FAQ's not going to answer who they used in Korea. They're not going to answer, you know, how they dealt with the crisis in Serbia. You know, so I intrinsically, by default, become de facto experienced from their experiences. Right. And that becomes very valuable for the ICOs. Now, of course, so, they all want to be right. successful and I'm saying, look, you're not, I'm not the CEO. You're the CEO. I'm here to support you and your vision. Right. Uh, no, I, frankly, from a, from a founder perspective, I, you know, that sounds like an, an ideal relationship between an advisor and a CEO founder. Um, you know, you, it's, it's not the advisor's job to, or, you know, to, to figure out the vision and the strategy. It's, you know, the advisor's there so you could bounce ideas off of, you know, spitball with and, and, and uh, really from, kind of. Yeah, from your lips to God's ear. <laughs> you know, oh my God, everybody hires me and they're like, okay, you're going to bring me 50 million. I'm sorry, am I the CEO suddenly? <laughs> Are you paying me to be the CEO? <laughs> no, 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 but you board advisor, I'm giving you 0.001% of the company that may or may not work. You have to work for me now. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? So you're right. There's a dichotomy of expectations. And, uh, and you know, you stressed, then you're going to rip everything apart around you. So, you know, you know it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's such a quick industry that their lines just got blurry. It's the same thing with marketing and PR. Oh, wait a minute. I got an article on, on Forbes, but nobody bought anything. It's PR. It's not marketing <laughs> or sales. It's a very different right. thing. And exactly. uh, to me, it's obvious it's different industries, different expectations, but the rest of the world, they haven't had that experience. They don't know that. Exactly. So we need to educate them with your show, with our conversations. And, you know, and that's why I invest in entrepreneurs who's done it before, because it proved to me they went the whole yard out. I mean, they really created a shareholder value and stole the company. They understand it all. And right. that makes no, it I think easier that, I think for that's everybody important. else. Yeah. yeah. And it definitely, it definitely makes it easier on your end. And I think it also just ultimately will lead to more successes. Um, you know, down the road. So, well, I, I think you know yeah. if if they haven't had that experience, try to figure out if they will listen. I mean, that's like a precursor. Like, 
if they haven't answered before, then they ran a business. That's great. They might still not listen. <laughs> but if you grant an entrepreneur who hasn't done it before, it doesn't mean you can't work with them and invest in them. You want to work with them. But them listening is important. Unfortunately, if they want your money, oh my God, do they listen. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is definitely true. And, and they'll listen to the check yeah. sign that it's in the bank. And, and yeah. Sometimes. So how do you get through that bullshit? I mean, how do you get through that? <laughs> I get through it by seeing what they've done before and who's on the board. I mean, if they have three rock stars on the board, somebody convinced them to be on the board. Three right. is not an accident. One could be an accident. But three, there's something going on. There's relationships mm -hmm. and sales convinced them to be on board. Three is a great number. And then it tells you, okay, there's something there. Gotcha. So let me talk to you a little bit about um, regulations, uh, which is a hot topic also with ICOs. Um, good idea, yes or no? Should, should, I, should the market be regulated? Absolutely. Look, <laughs> people are getting fleeced and ripped off left and right. I get all the complaints coming to me. And they asked me to resolve them. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's good intentions, but if it's not written in paper, it's translations. And then you have different cultures acting differently. I mean, I got $500 million funds calling me, telling me that I'm on the board for a company who refused to honor their word and had shake. And it's worth, you know, 20 million bucks. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, Regulation was put in place because people are being ripped off. It's been tried and tested for a hundred years. It was not an accident. It was mm -hmm. put in place on purpose. People weren't alive. Their grandparents weren't alive when the SEC set up the 33 and 34 and 40 Act. Check this out. The Great Depression 1929 was so extreme, people not only lost their money, they lost their home, their car, their livelihood, their job, their house. We didn't see that during this depression, that extreme. But guess what Roosevelt did? 3033 Act, and then he realized, oh, we don't have a police officer for the 33 Act. Let's create the 34 Act to, to enforce the 33 Act. Hmm. Who do we make the head of the SEC for that act? This is the beautiful part. Roosevelt said, well, why don't we put a crook to be heading up the SEC to catch crooks? Well, who's better than a crook to catch crooks? <laughs> Do you know who that name was? This is Epic. No. The biggest name in U.S. history, Joe Kennedy. Interesting. I didn't know that. He, I mean, it's epic. The Kennedy clan was created from him being able to cash all of the fraudulent services because he was in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. So, so you say it's a bad, I think excessive regulation is bad. No regulation is worse. Right. So what, what kind of regulations would you like to see kind of, what, uh, where should we start? I guess is, is where, where, where would you like to see them start? Self-regulation. Now during okay. the crowdfunding days in the U S we self-regulated us and, you know, we just kept monitoring everybody. We created ways of mechanisms to report 
things that we did not like or approve or uh, or think were shady. And that's what we need to continue doing here. And, of course, the SEC and FINRA will come up with regulations and rules and how to deal with this. Uh, the noise and, and uh, complication is because it's a new crypto asset class, something we never had before. And there's so much conflict between lawsuits, judges, courtrooms, SEC, FINRA, definitions, and media. The media is screaming about crypto all day long. And... <clears throat> You know, you got, you know, a lot of blind sheep running running around, you know, hitting each other up. And as soon as it gives a little direction, at least in the U.S., we will understand how to scale based on that direction. But for right now, they'll regulate. You see a problem, report it. Unfortunately, I've had a lot of people call me on Facebook and LinkedIn and say, hey, this thing is sparkling, this and that. You can't take it on their word. you got to your own due diligence because those were strangers calling me kept claiming that uh, I was involved with an ICO that was a fraud yet again the ICO did well ended up in the New York uh, regulated by the SEC uh, audited by the SEC and they're running fine so you know regulation becomes you know a community of people talking and sharing information we mm -hmm. saw that during the crowdfunding days and that would be a proactive way. The SEC and FINRA are sending out 80 subpoenas the last month. He's telling everybody, we're on top of you, we're catching up, and we're shaking the tree to make sure you're complying to the laws. And they should. You know, there's a lot of people got ripped off. A lot of people put money in and disappeared. And right. um, Poof. <laughs> Just vanished. Which is unfortunate. It's been tested. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but, you know, these regulations were tested and tried for a long time. So, are they killing certain industries because they're excessive? Yes. But they're case studies where people got ripped off and they came up with maybe excessive laws. So, of course, we have to push back. But we also have to appreciate what we have. Mm -hmm. So, recently, uh, like just the other day, maybe it might have been like yesterday or the day before, Jack Dorsey from uh, CEO of Twitter, founder of Twitter, and also Square, says Bitcoin's gonna be the world's single currency in 10 years. Do you agree with that at all? Or when, why and why yeah, not you, would you agree with that? You know, I was on Bloomberg talking about G20 two days ago, uh -huh. <clears throat> live, and we had the same question. Look, there's 1,500 cryptocurrencies. And I know that some of these currencies will increase and surpass Bitcoin in market cap. So, absolutely not. No. Where do you think but he got? Where do you think he came up with saying that? Like, just any idea? <laughs> he just decided to one day speak up about cryptocurrency. Because I mean, I feel like that's a topic he's never really Why touched not? on before. Why not? <laughs> Jamie Dimon did the same thing. You got he, Korean he politicians saying, though. "Yeah," and you say you get Korean, you got Korean, uh, you know, uh, politicians saying we should forbid cryptocurrencies. And within, within five hours, the whole world tanked 40%. Right, right. I mean, it is so sensitive, so manipulative. More power I mean, to him. It's a power position. They can say whatever he wants. Nobody knows what to <laughs> say. There's nobody that argue with him. I right. tell you what, it's full of shit. <laughs> That's what I'll tell you. 
Why not? Well, another, I'll, I mean, I'll, but you've also I'll you've also him. you're right, and but you've also seen like some sites uh, that that I forgot what site it was that tracks you know I think all different kinds of cryptocurrencies. There was they there was an error or something, uh, and and or it got hacked. I don't remember the exact details, but basically it affected the entire market um, because because it updated and and every and you know people were reacting to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. So, I mean, I mean, you can argue once again, you have regulation, and that can happen. Right. I mean, look no, at Facebook. Definitely. Look at Facebook. <laughs> For the next six months, the privacy will be the biggest propeller of blockchain history. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? What do I mean with that? You know, you get the duopoly of Facebook and Google making 83 billion bucks on you and me, on our data. There's stealing our data. They're prostituting our data. And we have no say in it. What, what do you think blockchain is going to do? It's going to take this forensic accounting software and say, hey, this is David. We know everything about David, but you can't know anything about David unless he gives you permission. If David gives you permission, don't know his age between 40 to 50, and he gets a coin, only then will you get that information. But you won't know where he lives. You won't know his eyes colors. You won't know his family status. Mm-hmm. That's what blockchain allows you to do. It allows you to release only data that you want to release. And if you decide that you want to be compensated for that, you take all the power away from Facebook and Google, and you control your own privacy. Isn't that beautiful? We can get paid for being anonymous but verified. I mean, isn't that crazy? I could be getting coins. <laughs> I can get coins to letting people use my phone, and only between six to seven p.m. at night can they pay me coins to find out if I use the car service. They can't know who I am. They can't know where I live. They can't know where I went or where I came from. Right. Blockchain is that software allowing that to happen anonymously. Anonymously. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling that we have the software, and the problem is we don't have Apple. And what I mean with that is, Apple was a genius making computers simple, sleek, and sexy, mm-hmm. seamless. We need Apple to crypto. We need crypto to be so simple you press a button, and you don't right. have to understand it. It just works. And that's you think, where you we think get Apple's going to get into the crypto game? Would, would, would you think that's a possibility? No, mm-hmm. of course it is, but it's an allegory. You know, yeah. the thing with the big corporations like Apple and Google, they can't move fast. They're too big. Mm-hmm. They, they're not nimble as they used to be because it's too big. There's too many people training, money involved. You know, now they make micro sectors within the company to be nimble. But mm-hmm. as a corporation, it's logistically impossible to move faster. Right. So, and so could, are they in it? Of course they're in it. But it, what I was saying was an allegory. You need somebody mm-hmm. to come up with a seamless solution that like, oh, okay, click. I know nothing about crypto, but click. It works. <laughs> click. Right. That's what we need. Right. We need more of that. Right. And those companies are there. It's just they haven't been commercialized. I see them. I work with them. I know them. 
and it's a question of execution. The best idea is useless unless people can execute on it. And we've seen great ideas that went nowhere. We've seen stupid ideas that went everywhere. <laughs> right, look so, at Snapchat. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's one. You can look at uh, Blue Ribbon Beer. You know, six guys decided, oh, let's raise 250 million bucks to resurrect Blue Ribbon. The SEC shut them down and said, well, you broke this year a lot. But yeah, well, we'll get 250 million bucks to buy Blue Ribbon Beer. <laughs> I mean, uh, anyway, the point is, you know, it's a beautiful world we're living in, and we have a new asset class, and anything possible. The few of us who understand the nuance, the differences from Wall Street to crypto, technology, and the conflicts that exist in it right now. Look, I'd love to come back on your show. This has been great. I hope you get a copy of this and share with my readership. We got actually 10 million people who want them to hear nice. this. I'm more, I'm more than happy to send you uh, this as soon as it, uh, as soon as I have it up. Um, if you have, a, if you have like a couple, like a like two more minutes, I'd love to do really quick a lightning round with you, um, as, as to end up the show. Hit me up. All right, here we go. So, Bitcoin or Ethereum? Ethereum. In the race to the one trillion dollar market cap, who's going to get there first, Apple or Amazon? Amazon. Yes or no? Will the government introduce its own cryptocurrencies? Any government? Yes. Around the world? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and we work with them. Yeah. And Bitcoin or USD? USD. Cool. Well, David Drake, it's been it's been a pleasure having you on the on this episode of Techie Bytes. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to. Uh, to speaking with you again in the future. Anytime. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash best techie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.